Well, good morning, church. We're so glad you're here this morning as we've come to gather, praise, and worship, and celebrate our God this morning. I invite you to stand and let's worship our King of Kings who's reigning and ruling on his throne this morning. And he's worthy of our praise. Sing it out now. You were seated high. You were seated high before there was light. Through you and for you, everything was made. Authority has been given unto you. You're the head over all the King of Kings. You reign supreme. You reign supreme over everything. You deserve our Every knee is gonna fall, and every tongue confess you, Lord of all. Sing it out now, you reign. You reign supreme over everything. You deserve our worship. You deserve it, Lord. You deserve our worship, Jesus. Love and adoration. You deserve it, Lord. All our highest praises, Jesus. Crown him with many crowns, the Lamb upon his throne. Crown him with many crowns, Jesus. Crown him, Lord of love. Behold his hands and side, crown him the Lord of love, Jesus. Crown him the Lord of life, who triumphed o'er the grave. Crown him the Lord of life, Jesus. Crown him the Lord of heaven, one with the Father known. Lord of heaven, Jesus, you deserve, you deserve our worship, come on now, you deserve it, Lord, you deserve our worship, Jesus, love and adoration, you deserve it, Lord, all our highest praises, Jesus. Supreme, 
Amen. Well, there are some wonderful people to the side of you, behind you. Say good morning to them. Greet them heartily and remain standing as we continue to worship. Remain standing. Oh, remain standing. We're not done. All right. Well, we serve a majestic, awesome God. And Psalm 103 tells us that one of the benefits that we have as believers, as children of God, is that God has rescued our life from the pit of destruction. And he's crowned us with a loving kindness and tender mercies. And this next song we want to teach you this morning basically talks about that. Thanking God for saving our souls, for healing our hearts, for giving us a new name, for taking us out of our life of bondage and despair and bringing us into the light. So I want to teach you this song this morning. The chorus goes like this. You picked me up. You turned me around. You set my feet on solid ground. I thank the Master. I thank the Savior because you healed my heart. You changed my name forever free. I'm not the same. I thank the Master. I thank the Savior. I thank God. Sing that with us. You picked me up. You picked me up. You turned me around. You placed my feet on solid ground. I thank the Master. I thank the Savior. Because you healed my heart, you changed my name, forever free, I'm not the same. I thank the Master, I thank the Savior, I thank God. This is how the verse goes. Wandering into the night, wanting a place to hide the spirit's I just can't win the fire slowly drifting a backbone. Sing that with us, wandering into the night. Wandering into the night. Wanting a place to hide the spirit's Drifting a bag of mine. 
no choice but to believe my doubts are burning like ashes in the wind. So step on to my old friends, burning their bitterness. You can just keep them moving. You and well
stand here in your presence in complete awe, awestruck of your goodness towards us. And we bless you from the depths of our soul and we thank you that you have redeemed us and forgiven us of all of our iniquities. You have healed us of all of our diseases. You have rescued our life from the pit of destruction. You have crowned our lives with loving kindness and tender mercies. You satisfy our mouth with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. Wow. You did that for us. And you dearly, dearly, dearly love us. And we worship you as our God and as our King. Well, amen. You may be seated to continue in a heart of worship. We're going to give God our tithes and offerings this morning. So if you brought that to give this morning, you can prepare that. The ushers are going to come in a moment to receive that from you. God, again, as an expression of our gratitude, we give to you this morning. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.
praise you again and again. It's all that I have is a hallelujah, hallelujah. And I know it's not much, but I've nothing else fit for the King. Step for a heart singing. joy it is to be here in your presence, God, to look into your face, the face of our King. Oh, we worship you. And may we be reminded of this song that when we run out of words, if all we can do is just sing hallelujah to you. It's worth it because you are worthy of all of our praise and so we don't take it lightly that you have invited us into your presence at the same time we come running into your presence knowing that you are a God of mercy a God of grace a God who has recreated our spirits who has completely wiped away our sin, you remember it no more. And you've clothed us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that's the lens you look at us each and every day. May we be reminded when this world tries to trample us down, may we be reminded that because of Jesus Christ, and because of God our Father, we are children of the King. And we can act like it not to push our weight around but humbly knowing that because of your love we are your children so now we open our hearts we open our ears and our eyes to your word Holy Spirit teach us this morning in Jesus name Amen this morning we're going to be in Acts chapter 7 so if you would go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 7 And I have a question for you. Have you ever experienced mercy? Why don't you think about that? Have you ever experienced mercy? Have you ever experienced mercy more than once? Take a minute. Instead of just nodding your head yes, I want you to actually think about this. Think about mercy. Think about the mercy that has been shown to you. All the times in your life that you've experienced mercy. Have you experienced the mercy of God? Really experienced that gift of mercy? From the standpoint of being a Christ follower, the answer would be yes. If you were here on Wednesday night, I ask you and challenge you to think about the depth of grace and really meditate on grace. That was in preparation of this morning. 
When you think about mercy, what is mercy? How would, how would you define mercy? Simply put, mercy is not getting what you deserve, isn't it? We think about justice, and we want justice, don't we? We always want justice when it applies to somebody else, don't we? But when it comes to us, we want mercy. We want to think about this. And the fact is, we want mercy, but we also want grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy and grace go together. Not getting what you deserve, mercy... But getting what you don't deserve, grace, are the foundations of your great salvation. It's the foundation of the transformation that God has done within our lives. And the fact is, those that humbly understand mercy will humbly receive grace. But without humbly understanding mercy, you can never receive grace. You really got to understand what it means to have received that gift of mercy. You see, our world today is driven by this sense of entitlement, isn't it? I deserve this. I deserve to have all my bills paid for. I deserve that you be nice to me, regardless of how I act. I deserve this. I've thought about this. and What do we really deserve? When it comes down to it, what do we really deserve? Judgment. Wrath. But God, in His great mercy, allows us to fall on our knees. In fact, when you understand the mercy of God, falling on your knees is the right response. In saying thank you. Being grateful for what God has done. And it's interesting because mercy, when we comprehend what mercy does, it drives us to our knees. And then by grace, God lifts us back up. And that's how mercy and grace work together within this. Alan Redpath once said this. God's mercy with a sinner is only equaled and perhaps outmatched By his patience with the saints, with you and me. God's mercy is outmatched by his patience. Is God patient with you? Nod your head, yes. The fact that you're still upright and taking nourishment is a fact that God is patient with you. Because if God dealt with you according to your sin, you wouldn't be sitting here right now. His patience, it out. It outmatches his mercy, and it's all part and parcel of his character. Alistair Begg once said this, Let us remember the loving kindness of the Lord, and rehearse his deeds of grace. Let us open the volume of recollection, which is so richly illuminated with memories of his mercy, and we will soon be happy. When we move through life, if we pause and reflect on God's mercy and God's grace towards us, our worship is enhanced because all we can do is say thank you. All we can do is honor Him. Man cannot comprehend, nor can man exhaust the mercy of God. I've talked to a lot of people and say, well, you know, God can never forgive me. 
for what I've done? And the answer is, yes, He can. Well, God, God's done with me. I can't come back to church because you don't know what I've done. Yeah, you can. You cannot exhaust the mercy of God, nor can you exhaust or, or drain the pool of God's grace. It goes beyond. In fact, the word in Hebrew is chesed. If you've been with me any length of time, you know that's a word I like. Chesed. It's this word that means long-suffering. We see that with parents, with delinquent adolescents. Don't we? Long-suffering. And if we as humans can be long-suffering towards one another, imagine how much more God can be merciful and chesed towards us in this long-suffering within this. I praise God for His great mercy. The challenge is when I forget about God's great mercy, I act like a spoiled child. I become that delinquent adolescent saying, God, give me. God, you, I deserve this. And, and God, I'm going to live in my rebelliousness. God, I'm going I'm I'm to work as if you don't even exist. Do we see that in our world today? Absolutely. Can you imagine what it would be like if God said, look it. I'm going to give you a test, just a test, of my mercy towards you. I'm going to create an imbalance in the oxygen within the air for about 15 minutes. Let's see how you last. Do you realize that it is by God's great mercy that we can even breathe air right now? We look at this. God has given us mercy even though we deserve justice. And you say, Carrie, how does this play into Acts 7? Acts 7 is one of the longest narratives that we find in the Bible. It's the longest in the New Testament, the longest speech. It's 60 verses long. Don't freak out. I'm not going to make you stand as we read all 60 verses. But it is Stephen's declaration as he's brought before the council, his speech. If you remember, Stephen was selected to wait the tables. He's a Hellenistic Jew, so he's a Jew that speaks Greek, that was selected to come out and to serve the tables of the Hellenistic widows or the Jewish widows that spoke Greek within their own synagogues. We studied it. They didn't like the fact that Stephen was elevating being elevated in ministry by the Holy Spirit, doing signs and wonders and all these great things were happening. And they didn't like it because he was preaching in the synagogues. And so the Hellenistic Jews, Jewish synagogue members had grabbed a hold of him and brought him before the council because he posed a threat to their authority. They were jealous. The text told us last week that Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. And it begins this monologue. And if you remember the charges, there were two. One was against Moses and against God, or against the law and against the temple. Why did they choose those charges? Because if they could prove those charges, they could kill Stephen by stoning him. They were jealous. They wanted him dead. But in the speech, before the Jewish Sanhedrin, mind you, the same group of people 
that tried and crucified Jesus and the same people that brought Peter and John on charges and just got through beating them and saying, don't mention that name anymore, the same people that hated Jesus are now going to listen to Stephen and this message. And what Stephen does is amazing. If you ever worry about what you're going to say when you're brought before people, don't worry about it. God will give you the message. God will give you the words to say. And so Stephen does something phenomenal. He starts all the way with Abraham and walks through a survey of Jewish history and all of the times that God was merciful when Israel were knuckleheads. When they rejected God. If you think today, I'm such a failure, God can never show mercy or forgive me, you're wrong. The power of God's mercy goes beyond our failures. And we can see that. And in the end, you have two choices. To accept the mercy and grace or reject it. But it'll be up to you. What I do want to do is stand out of respect for God's Word. I want to read to you, and we'll read through Ephesians 2, 4 through 10, which is a passage that really envelops this whole concept of what mercy is. So if you would stand, as is our practice. You thought I wasn't going to make you stand, did you? <laughs> I love messing with you. Ephesians 2, 4 through 10 says this, But God, being rich in His what? Because His great love, which with He has loved us, even when we were dead in our what? Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places and in Christ Jesus, so that in ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His what? In His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. For what? Good works, which God has prepared beforehand, so that we may walk in them. May God bless the reading of His Word. You can be seated. So fasten your seatbelts. Acts chapter 7. We begin with how it all started. Do you realize that it was an act of mercy that God initiated the relationship with Abraham? Does God have to do anything with us? Is God mandated to do it? No, God doesn't have to do anything. But in His mercy, He initiates relationships. That's an act of mercy. You say, well, when, did, when was God merciful to me? Well, I can tell you this, he was merciful to you when he first introduced himself to you within that. It was his grace mercy that made contact with Abraham. In verses well, 1 through 8, it says, And the high priest said, Are these things so? So this is the answer that Stephen had. And he said, Hear me, brethren and fathers. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia and before he lived in Haran and said to him, Leave your country and your relatives, and come to the land that I will show you. And then he left the land of the Chaldeans, settled in Haran. And from there, after his father died, God had him move to a country in which he is now living. And he gave him no inheritance in it, 
not even a foot on the ground, and yet, even when he had no child, he promised, underline that, that he would give it to him as a possession and to the descendants after him. But God spoke to this effect, that his descendants would be aliens in a foreign land and that they would be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. Whatever nation to which they be in bondage, myself will judge, said God. And after that, they will come out and serve me in this place. And he gave them a covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob became or a Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. So what do we see here? Well, we see, again, God in His great mercy initiated the relationship with Abraham. Abraham had no clue who Yahweh was prior to this. He grew up in a, in a very pagan culture full of idolatry that was there. And he comes and he gives him this promise. You can read about the promise in Genesis chapter 12 and also Genesis chapter 15 and 17. All of that whole section talks about the promise of God that was given to Abraham. Abraham lived in Ur, this land of, of paganism, and the promise was this. It was actually a threefold promise. God promised Abraham a land for his people, a seed that he would have children upon children upon children when he was childless. Count the sand on the seashore and the stars in the heaven, you'll have kids more than that. And a blessing, in other words, prosperity. Now imagine this. God in His mercy comes to this pagan idolater and says, I'm going to be your God. Not just yours, but I'm going to give you children. In fact, not just you, but it's going to be a great nation and it's all going to start with you. Did Abraham do anything to deserve that? No. It was a complete act of mercy. In fact, he said, well, and it's, it's going to be difficult. You're going to have descendants, and they're going to go into a land, and they're going to be slaves for 400 years, but I'm going to use them to judge an, another ungodly nation. I've got a plan. We look at that. And I want you to reflect back on where you were prior to coming to know who Jesus is. What was your spiritual condition? Where were you at at that place when you really didn't know God and God revealed Himself to you? God came to you, revealed Himself to you, and has given you a promise and an inheritance. It's an amazing thing, this act of mercy. Because the power of mercy has changed your life. Just as it changed Abraham. The power of mercy in this one man created this great nation. For the sake of a great nation? No. For your salvation. It's an amazing thing. We see this act of mercy. And this is where the tapestry of mercy and grace started to be woven into a nation. That would provide the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that would get this Jewish council even to exist as a Jewish council. But the problem is they forgot where they came from. They forgot their roots. 
They forgot the greatness of God and the greatness of His mercy. And they got all up into their own religiosity and their own power. They forgot where they came from. Do we see that in our world today? Do we see that in our country today? And we see that often in our families. Where we have forgotten where we came from. You really want to connect with God? Go back to the first. Go back to where you were when God pulled you out of the garbage that you were in and gave you hope and life. Stephen was taking this council who thought that they were God back to the origins and said, no, 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 no. You're here because God allowed you to be here. God called you. And God gave you a promise. The nation of Israel that is worshiping in this temple, in this place that you're trying me in right now, only exists because of a promise that God made a long time ago and now it is being fulfilled. We need to pause and reflect. When was the first time that God showed mercy towards you? And remember that. Because the power of God's mercy is revealed through His promises. He goes on. Verses 9 through 16. In his statement, he says, And these patriarchs, the twelve that he mentions in verse 8, became jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, and yet God was with him. You could underline that. And rescued him from all his afflictions and granted him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and made his governor over Egypt and all his household. And now a famine came over Egypt and Canaan and great affliction with it, and the fathers could find no food. And when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent his fathers there the first time. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And Joseph's family was disclosed to Pharaoh. And then Joseph sent word and invited Jacob, his father, and all his relatives to come to him, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down to Egypt, and there he had his father, there he and our fathers died. And from there they were removed to Shechem and laid the tomb, which Abraham had purchased for a sum of money from the sons of Hamar and Shechem. So what do we see in phase two of this mercy? One of the things that we see in this is a prepared future. Do you realize God not only called you, reached out from eternity into your life and revealed Himself to you, but He prepared a future? Consider Joseph. Joseph. You all know the story, the coat of many colors and the brothers that didn't like him and threw him in the well and said, well, you know, what are we going to do with him? Well, maybe we should kill him and... And, you know, his brother said, no, let's, let's just send him off to slavery. And so he sent him to slavery. And you think about Joseph and all that he went through. His brothers didn't like him. Thrown in a well, sent off to be a slave. And then he was being trapped by Potiphar's wife, falsely accused, thrown into jail, hung out with a bread maker and a wine guy in the jail. Right? And then interprets their dreams. They go off. One dies and one goes. But he forgets. And then Pharaoh is there and says, well, I'm having these bad dreams. Seven good years, seven bad years. And uh, you've got to read it for yourself. But the whole account works through how God had planned for Joseph to go where? To Egypt. Why? So that there would be a provision for the twelve patriarchs. 
70 in all, would need to go to Egypt for the famine. Now, here's the interesting part about this. These are the same patriarchs, the same 12, that threw Joseph away. That threw him away. You ever wonder, does God really know what he's doing? And the answer is yes. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you what? A future and a hope. Does God know what he's doing? The answer is absolutely yes. And if you're Joseph and you're at the bottom of the well, God, how's this going to work out? Don't worry about it, I got it. Being falsely accused of Potiphar's, by Potiphar's wife. I got it. Sitting in jail. They forgot me again. I got it. In charge of all the food of the land. And then your brothers show up. Oh, now it's time for judgment, right? No. Mercy. You ever think about the mercy that Joseph showed towards his brothers? Did he have the power to have them all killed? Absolutely he did. But he needed to be able to bring the whole family into Egypt to preserve them through the famine. Was it really Joseph doing it or was it God doing it? It's God doing it. And within this, we see Joseph as a type of Savior. You can read about Genesis 37 to 46 all the way through. But the thing that intrigues me the most about this is the fact that, that God is the one that provides the future. In His great mercy, God has already planned your future for you. In His great mercy, He's prepared a plan for you. You don't know what it is, and it is going to be a rocky start, but God is going to provide mercy towards you. And if God has provided mercy towards you, and you realize that mercy has been given to you, then how should you respond to others that have treated you poorly? With what? Mercy. With mercy. Hmm. Joseph would have been a patriarch that the Sanhedrin, this council, would have known about. Keep in mind, Stephen is in front of a group of people that are treating him merciless. They want him dead. What is Stephen saying? I trust in the providence of God. And the power of God's mercy is revealed through his provision. I don't know what the future has for us, individually or collectively. But you know what? God's in charge. We trust in that. Why? Because God's merciful. And He's gracious. And every step of the way, we can trust in that mercy within that. The third phase of, of Stephen's message goes from 17 to 34. He said, But as this time the promise was approaching, which God had assured Abraham, the people increased in the multitude that multiplied in Egypt, until there was, arose another king over Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. It was he who took a shrewd advantage of our race, 
mistreated our fathers so that they would expose their infants and they would not survive. It was at this time Moses was born and he was lovely in the sight of God and he was nurtured three months in his father's home and after he had been set outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and nurtured him and her, as her own son. Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians and he was a man of power and words and deeds. But when he approached the age of 40, it entered his mind to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. And when he saw one of them being treated unjustly, he defended him and took vengeance for the oppressed by striking down the Egyptian. That was a mistake. And he supposed that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were fighting together, and he tried to reconcile them in peace, saying, Men, your brethren... Why do you injure one another? But the one who was injuring his neighbor pushed him away and said, Who made you a ruler or judge over us? You do not mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday, do you? As this remark, Moses fled and became an alien in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. And after no, 40 years he had passed, the angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. And in the flame of a burning thorn bush... When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight, and as he approached, he took more, looked more closely. And there came the voice of the Lord, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Moses shook with fear and would not venture to look. But the Lord said to him, take off your sandals from your feet, for this place on which you are standing is holy ground. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt and have heard their groans and I have come down to rescue them. Come now and I will send you to Egypt. What does Stephen do in his third phase of his argument? His discussion. He reveals this, this truth about the nation of Israel that they were slaves. Just as was promised to Abraham, they would be slaves where? Egypt. A different pharaoh would come up and he would come against them. In their slavery, they would be in bondage. Keep in mind, there were 70 that went into Egypt. Many, many hundreds of thousands, maybe upwards of a million are in this place now. 400 years in bondage. Think about that. What has God done for you in delivering you from bondage? Well, He called you. God's got a plan for you. And in God's plan for you, God has to deliver you from bondage, from slavery. You say, well, Carrie, I'm not a slave. You were a slave to what? Sin. You were a slave to sin. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, But God demonstrated His own love towards us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ what? What condition were you in when Jesus died for you? You were already a sinner. In John 8.36 says, So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. God called you, knew your name before the foundations of the world. The plan was set for your life before the foundations of the world. But when it came time for that plan to be enacted... God looked at your condition 
as one who was a slave to an evil taskmaster and came to set you free. Sent a deliverer, a Savior. His name is Jesus. For the nation of Israel, their deliverer, their Savior was who? Moses. One who was selected by God to be that person. It's interesting to me, if you take a look at Stephen's argument, he breaks Moses' life down to three 40-year segments. According to tradition, Moses lived 120 years. Way much longer than I want to live. But for the first 40 years, Moses was living in Pharaoh's house. He knew that he was a Hebrew, and he knew that the Hebrews were being mistreated, and he knew that he was special by God, so he decided to go out and deliver his Hebrew brothers. What did he do? Well, he killed an Egyptian soldier. What did these patriarchs, these Jewish people do? Thank you so much, Moses. you're, You're here to save us. Were they thankful for that? No. What did they do? They rejected him as their deliverer. Which sent Moses packing. He got a little bit ahead of the game. But it surprised God? No. Because for the next 40 year segment, Moses would learn how to live in the wilderness. Question. If you're going to lead a million people through the desert, do you think you need to know how to live there? So we went to school. And he would keep sheep and goats in the same areas that he would lead the nation through. Until he was 80. Now, if there are people here that are pushing 80 and think, I'm done, I'm retired, that's a lie. You're just starting, so get busy. At 80, he sees this burning bush, God speaking and says, I am and, I, and, and you're not. Take your shoes off. And now let's go. Where am I going? I'm going to go talk to Pharaoh. Why? Because he's mistreating my people. Question. Had Pharaoh been mistreating the people for a long time? Why did he wait 400 years? Well, there's a number of reasons. And when you study it, you understand, one, Egypt was the incubator for the nation. Abraham's promise, I'm going to make you a great nation. How am I going to grow this nation? I'm going to grow them in adversity. 400 years. What else was going on? What they didn't know was God was allowing the sin of the land of Canaan to come to its full force. Come complete. Because God was going to judge Canaan with the nation of Israel. God's got a plan. We have no clue what God's doing behind the scenes. God calls out Moses. Says, Moses, go pull these people out. And you've got to understand, these are the people that were clueless about who Moses was. These were the rebellious ones throughout the wilderness experience. Were they not? Who made you ruler over us? God did. Which was the same sentiment that these... Sanhedrin, the council, were rejecting. They were rejecting the rulership of God within this. What's interesting is God, in His great mercy, didn't give up on the nation of Israel, did He? Did He give up on them and say, I'm done because you make mistakes, because you don't want me? Aren't you glad that God did not give up on you? How many times did God come to you and say, come to me, 
and I'll forgive you of your sins. And you say, no, God, you can't do that. How many times did it take until you responded to the call of God to forgive you of your sins? How many times did God reach out to you to save you? And then finally it took. On average, CEF, Child Evangelism Fellowship, states that it takes about seven attempts in leading a child to Christ. It takes about seven attempts until it finally sticks. You think about that. Moses in his life, from his birth all the way through, was living in a manner that was honoring to God for the most part until he blew it, struck the rock the second time, wasn't allowed to go into the promised land. But by God's grace, he allowed him to see it. But don't miss this. The power of God's mercy is in the calling. It's in the planning. And the power of God's mercy is in the deliverance of the people. Aren't you glad that God didn't give up on you? And the first time you said no, God said, nah, I'm going to keep coming back. The power of God's mercy is also seen in his faithfulness. Look at verses 35 to 50 as he goes on. He says, And Moses, whom they disowned, saying, Who made you a ruler over us? Is the one whom God set to be both ruler and deliverer and the helper and the angel who appeared to him in the thorn bush. And this man led him out, performing wonders and signs. Note that Moses was doing wonders and signs. They were angry at Stephen because he was doing wonders and signs. They were angry at Jesus because he was doing wonders and signs. They rejected Moses who was doing wonders and signs. Out of the land of Egypt, through the Red Sea in the wilderness. And this Moses said to your sons, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. This is the one whom was in the congregation in the wilderness together with the angel who was speaking to him on Mount Sinai and who was with our fathers and he received the living oracles to pass to you. Our fathers were, no, unwilling to be obedient to him. But repudiate him in their hearts and turn back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. And this Moses who led us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what happened to him. Why? Because Moses was on Mount Sinai. Aaron's building this golden calf, which we'll mention in a minute. And at this time they made a calf and brought a sacrifice to the idol, rejoicing in its works. But God turned away and delivered them up to serve the host of heaven, as it's written in the book of the prophets. It was not me that you offered victims and sacrifices. Forty years in the wilderness, was it, O house of Israel? You also took along the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of the god of Rampha and the images which you made to worship. I also will remove you from beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tabernacle and the testimony in the wilderness, just as he spoke to Moses directly. To him to make it according to the pattern which he had seen. And having received it, they turned and their fathers brought it with Joshua upon disposition of the nations, whom God drove out before the fathers until the time of David. And David found favor in God's sight, asked that he might find, build a dwelling place for God and Jacob, but it was Solomon who built it. However, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is a footstool of my feet. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what place is there for my repose? Was it not my hand which made all of these things? One of the things that you can't miss is God's 
God's mercy in keeping His Word even when man is rebellious. Question, anybody want Moses' job? Would you really want that job? You think grumbling children on a long trip is a bad, bad trip. You imagine a million people, and, and you get to Mount Sinai, and what do they do? You're going up to have a conversation with God, and you're going to get the Ten Commandments, and what are they building down below? A golden calf. How quickly, from the point of their deliverance from slavery, did they return back to their sin? Pretty quick. It didn't take much, did it? Have you ever done that? Having come to faith in the Lord, find yourself in a backslidden state. Where you turn your back on God and you go back to your old practices and you go back to your old ways. Realize, God called you. God's got a plan for you. Jesus died on the cross and paid the penalty for your sins. And then so quickly you go back and worship the idols of your old life. Yet God is merciful. That even for those that backslide, God provides mercy. We think about that mercy that shines through on His faithfulness because it is God who is faithful, not us. God knows that He will continue on. And He'll accept us and show mercy regardless of our rebellious and rejection. You say, well, carry on in a backslidden state. Will God forgive me? The answer is absolutely yes. Why? Because of His great, great mercy. Romans 3, verses 3 through 4 says this, What then, if some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God? Will it? No. May it never be. Rather, let God be found true, though every man is found a liar. As it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. In other words, you say, God, I'm going to follow you wherever you want me to go. Ten minutes later, you're off doing your own thing. And God says, well, your rebellion and your rejection doesn't change my faithfulness. I'm going to keep working with you. The fact that Israel was sitting on the Temple Mount, in the Temple with the Sanhedrin, even though in the wilderness they deserved judgment, shows God's great mercy. Now, were some judged? Yeah. But the nation was not a, a, annihilated within this. There is this constant attitude that, who made you to be judged? It's interesting that in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, it says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me among you from your countrymen, and you shall listen to him. Signs and wonders were done by Moses, and they didn't pay attention to them. Signs and wonders were done by Jesus, and what did they do? They crucified him. It's interesting also that Stephen is taking all of this and saying, you revere Moses, who was sent by God to be the deliverer. You didn't revere Jesus. And all of these Sanhedrins would have been just boiling up. Because now their sin is being revealed to them. The contradiction of their behavior. They should have listened to Moses at Sinai and they didn't. They build this golden calf. We know the account. Aaron says, 
I don't know, we threw the gold in and it just came out as a calf. Furthermore, God raised up beyond Moses, David, who wanted to build the tabernacle or the temple. And God said, no, you got bloody hands, so your son Solomon's going to do it. Solomon builds the place that they're standing. They're looking at it going, okay, here's the place. Do you remember what the two accusations were against Stephen? He was blaspheming Moses and blaspheming the temple. What does Stephen in his argument in this section do? He reveres Moses and he reveres the temple as both being God-ordained. He answers their question. But he does it in such a strategic way, it's only by the Holy Spirit that he brings it out and says, Look, you're missing the big picture and the big point. It's not about these things. It's really about the mercy of God. And his mercy is for those who continue to rebel against him as you are right now. As you are. You're so worked up about me speaking against the temple. God himself says the temple is not my house. It's just the place that I meet with you. And here he quotes scripture in Isaiah 61.1 or 66.1 within this. They were so upset. The irony is this. In 70 A.D., what's going to happen to the temple anyways? going to be destroyed. They were so upset. Why? Because the temple had become an idol. And God hates idols. He will destroy idols. In Romans chapter 1, verses 21 to 25, Paul writes, For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and foolish in their hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they become fools, exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image of the form of the corruptible man as birds, four-footed animals, crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over to the lust of their hearts, impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Where they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, they worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. What Stephen does instead of standing trial in front of these religious leaders is he puts them on trial. And he says, you're all idolaters. You're idolaters for the law. You're idolaters for the temple. And you are rebellious people and you have missed the mercy of God. Historically, God called you. God established you. God showed his mercy even when you were rebellious. And you're being rebellious right now. Will you continue to be rebellious? Israel was constantly blinded by their personal agenda. But I love the fact that the power of God's mercy goes beyond our personal agenda. What are you wrestling with this morning? What is your agenda where you are saying, my plan is greater than God's? My understanding is greater than God's. Maybe this morning you're in this place where you are saying, I don't know. Maybe I'm too far gone. God can't save me. God can't redeem me. I'm backslidden. Here's your choice. 
accept His mercy and His grace or reject it? Your choice. What did they do? Peter finished, or I'm sorry, Stephen finished this. Verses 51 to 60 says this. You men, you are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart, and ears are always resistant to the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and the murderers you have now become. You have received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. And now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open up and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witness laid their aside their robes at the feet of a young man, young man named Saul. And they were stoning Stephen, as he called. And the Lord said, and he called on the Lord and said, Lord, receive my spirit. And then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. What does Stephen do? He reveals their problem. An unrepentant, rebellious heart will never experience the mercy of God. Ever. If you remain unrepentant, if you remain rebellious, as Stephen says, you are stiff-necked, hard-headed, he opened the statement with brothers and he is, grie- he is pleading to them. But they were grieving the Holy Spirit. They saw Stephen as the enemy. They ignored the mercy of God historically and they decided Stephen needed to die. Why? Because he put the mirror up of their behavior and they, they turned their back on it. What do you do when God puts that mirror up to you? Do you respond to it and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner? Or do you stand self-righteous? Here's the power of God's mercy in the end. Stephen gave his speech. But the power of God's mercy is this. For those that know the mercy of God will be merciful towards other people. Stephen, dying, Being stoned to death, Saul, who we're going to read about later, holding the cloaks, gets to see the Shekinah glory of God and Jesus. The mercy of God opened up the heavens so he, in his death, would see something that no one else could see. That's the mercy of God. And in that place of mercy, he falls on his knees and he says, forgive them. Forgive them because they really don't know what they're doing. For those that have seen the mercy of God, that have experienced the power of the mercy of God, you will be able to show mercy. You want to know how well you know the mercy of God? How merciful are you towards one another? Stephen brought out this history. 
And the fact is that God knows your name. He's got a plan for you. He will call you and set you free. And though you may backslide in that freedom, God's not done with you because He will send somebody that will reflect what needs to change in your life. Change it. Don't be like the guys that stoned Stephen. And if you're being merciful towards someone and they're still treating you poorly, don't worry about it. God's got it. Just look to see Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that we can come before you and honor you in this place. Lord, we we thank you for this account of Stephen and the mercy that was demonstrated towards him in the end of his life. That mercy that has been shown towards us in our lives even today. Lord, help us to think back on the time when you called us. Help us consider the plan that you have for us. Let us rejoice in the fact that you deliver us. And even when we fall short, you're still merciful towards us and you will save us. Because at the end of the day, we want to see Jesus. Lord, we thank you and we praise you that we can honor you and that we can bring glory unto you in all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen. From the darkness I called your name Into darkness your mercy came You called me out, lifted me high How great is your love You bore my weakness and took my shame my burdens in fields of grace. You called me out, lifted me up. How great is your love. From the heights of heaven, you stepped down to earth. Innocent perfection gave your life for us and For we have been changed by the power of the cross. How great, how great, how great your love. How great, how great, how great your love. How great, how great, how great your love for
God, we thank you for your great love that's new every morning and those mercies that are new every morning. Let me pray this out. God, I thank you for your great, great love, your mercy that's new every morning. And I thank you, Lord, that uh, we can celebrate that great love and that mercy and that grace. That while I was yet a sinner, you died for me, Lord Jesus. And having given my life to you, I can live for you. And even when I mess up, God, you're there for me. Forgive me for being stiff-necked. May I seek your face in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen and praise Jesus. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 630 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scapoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.